Welcome to Deckert's Committed Capital, where private equity leaders open their playbooks to discuss today's trends. Welcome to Committed Capital. Today, we will be discussing the state of the distressed market in the U.S. and the current environment for workouts and restructuring. I am Stephen Zide, a restructuring partner in the New York office of Deckert. Joining me today are two exciting panelists, Michael Schwartz from SVP and Kevin O'Neill from KKR, who both focus on workouts and restructurings. Let me turn it over to them to briefly introduce themselves. Michael, why don't you go first? Sure. I'm a managing director on SVP's North American investment team, and I focus mostly on deals that have some type of restructuring element or bankruptcy administration workout. Um, so that tends to be the areas of focus for me. Kevin? Yeah, thanks, Stephen, uh, and great to be here with you and Michael. I am a director in KKR Credit. I'm on our governance workouts and restructuring teams, which is largely a portfolio management type of position. So uh, I have done work in our liquid and our private credit uh, positions, both structuring and dealing with workout situations and also managing uh, post-restructuring companies where we have an equity ownership position. Great. And thank you both for being here today. Let's get started. Let's start with where we are in the macro environment. Heading into 2022, I was hearing that there was going to be a recession in 2023. Just last week, I heard Larry Summers speak and he said the same thing. From where each of you sits today, what is the economic environment like and what's coming? Kevin, let's start with you. We're still of the view that a recession is likely, uh, although I think probably you know not as severe as maybe thought towards the end of 2022. Uh, what we are seeing in the market are the increase in interest rates. Uh, we're continuing to see labor costs um, be a challenge for the portfolio companies that we're working with. And we are starting to see some uh, declining demand. So this is becoming an issue for leveraged companies, especially those with floating rate debt. And the other issue that we are seeing across our portfolio is there's a real difference between those companies that have pricing power and that they can pass these increased costs on to their consumers or their customers and those that don't. And uh, those that don't have pricing power are, are very much struggling. Michael, what's your perspective? Yeah, very similar to Kevin's. We still think on balance, a recession is more likely than not. But look, it's definitely a murkier picture than it was just a few months back. When you kind of step back and look at it, you just see that the interest rates are going to be higher for, for much longer. The Fed needs to do this to battle inflation, but it's going to hurt. On the other hand, you kind of see these strong employment numbers, but at the same time, everyone's also heard about you know announcements of, of significant layoffs. And we think there are more of those to come. So when you put that together and uh, plus, you know, the, the supply side, the increased costs, and as Kevin was saying, the inability to pass some of those through, it does feel like, despite some recent optimism, that a recession is still more likely than not. The severity of, of that, I think, is an open question. Michael, you had mentioned inflation as a significant factor. Let's talk about that for a minute. We just saw last week that the personal consumption expenditures price index increased to 5.4% in January which was an unfortunate increase from the prior month. What's happening with inflation? 
Yeah. So look, I I think what you're seeing is that the Fed is really going to do what they need to do to battle inflation. I I think they've made that clear. And I think that kind of folds into what we were just talking about, which is it's just going to be harder to break that inflation loop. The Fed needs to keep interest rate higher for a longer period of time. Um, At least that's our belief. And uh, that's going to make it harder for companies. Companies' costs are going to be higher and you're going to see that impact. You're going to see the Fed doing what they can do to lower inflation, and that's going to mean higher costs and a tougher environment for businesses to operate in. And it's going to probably take the Fed a long time to really tamp inflation down and get it under control. For those of us who work in workouts and restructuring, inflation is really a new phenomenon. It really hasn't been something that the the macro environment has been dealing with for the last 40 years. And it seems new to this upcoming distress cycle. How would you compare the, the most recent or the most upcoming distress cycle to prior cycles like 2008, 2020? Michael, what's your view on that? Um, yeah, so look, this one definitely feels different, for example, than 2020, right? I mean, 2020 was this sharp, precipitous drop, which was triggered by COVID, and then you had significant stimulus, and that was a, you know, kind of an almost similarly steep pickup. 2008 also had that kind of similar dramatic crash, and then, you know, and then stimulus kind of from there. This one just kind of feels more like a grinding down. The economy, you know, kind of just continues to, to slow down, really brought about by some of what we were just talking about, you know, those those inflation, those higher interest rates, that increased costs that aren't being passed through. So the severity of, you know, of what's coming still a little bit, uh, I think, up in the air, but it, it definitely feels way different than 2008 and 2020, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Certainly that, that stimulus money that was there in 2008 and 2020 doesn't seem like it's going to be there. It seems like there's going to be money coming out of the system. So this kind of feels more to us, I think, like a normal uh, recession where we've had a lot of money in the system, a lot of exuberance in the investment community, and now we're kind of stepping back from that. Thanks, Kevin. So that's the, the macro environment. Let's talk about the financing market. Kevin, let's start with prices. How much more expensive is financing today? What does that mean for deals? So we're seeing definitely more expensive pricing as compared to late 2021, early 2022. You're probably looking at about 100 basis points of increase on the rate, another 100 basis points on the closing fee or the OID. So definitely more expensive. That's combined with more expensive base rate on that floating debt. So you're seeing you know, new deals are a lot more expensive from a financing side than they were a year ago. And that's making things... Um, you know, new deals, less attractive, marginal deals might not work anymore. There's kind of a pullback, I think, from everyone on doing deals. And then I think the other thing that we are seeing is sponsors are interested in keeping their existing capital structures in place, you know, being that they're less expensive and that there also might not be even a market at all for refinancing um, for some of these deals that were done, especially, you know, in the more exuberant times that we've uh, just come out of. And what does this rising interest rate environment mean for deal activity? Michael, what are you saying? For us, our pipeline has really exploded in size. I mean, I think if we kind of look back to January of 2022, we had, you know, roughly, we were looking at deals, call it just shy of 50 deals with about 79 billion of, you know, kind of debt. Today, our pipeline is probably closer to 120 deals and more like 230 billion of debt. So exactly what Kevin was saying, I think when you look at 
the fact that borrowing costs have gone up as they've gone up. And you've seen the fact that LTVs, you know, banks and financing parties are no longer to kind of lend at the same LTVs they were lending at before. A bunch of these deals just become no longer refinanceable. And and as a result, our, our pipeline has increased pretty materially. Wow. I mean, that's that's a huge increase. Kevin, you seen the same thing? Yeah. You know, I think we were probably in the workout space in our big syndicated credits. We were looking at things that were, you know, 90 were something that we were following a year and a half ago because there just wasn't a lot to follow. And now um, there's certainly a lot more that, that we're tracking and and keeping abreast of and thinking that there might be something to do in the term region. Thanks. And thinking of other cycles, in 08, a lot of the restructuring activity was focused on companies being over-levered. Now I'm hearing about liquidity being a main driver for restructurings. Kevin, how does that affect how you're looking at the current environment? You're really talking about leverage or liquidity as a catalyst. So if you have, you know, we've been talking about whether there's an ability to refinance. That's the question of leverage. Can you get the, the same leverage on the business? Are you over-levered relative to what the financing markets are willing to provide you? Um, I think that's what we saw a lot in 08 was capital structures came up. They were levered at a certain level. The markets just were not willing to refinance those capital structures that led to restructurings. I think what we are seeing now is, you know, leverage is still important for refinancings, but we're seeing a lot of longer dated maturities, um, deals that maybe don't have a covenant structure. So you're not really testing leverage until you get to refinancing. What is becoming more of a catalyst in this cycle seems to be liquidity, and that's because of what we were also talking about earlier, where you have these very much increased borrowing costs. You have uh, increased costs from labor, from other supplies, and companies are you know, finding that they were not underwritten to have that level of cash go out the door. Uh, so there's a need for liquidity, and it becomes a question of, is the sponsor willing to support the company with the liquidity injection? Or is that going to be a catalyst for a broader conversation and perhaps a restructuring? And Michael, how about you? How are you seeing it? No, I think Kevin's exactly right. The real question is about the catalyst. And you have a bunch of Covey-like deals with long-dated maturities, but you have the increased costs that inflation has created and that higher interest costs have created. The companies don't have too many options. They can either get liquidity uh, by trying to take on more debt, but a lot of these deals are are not refinanceable anymore. They can try and get you know equity injections from their sponsors, but sponsors aren't necessarily willing to put in more equity unless they really see upside. So that liquidity constraint has become the you know the real triggering event here. Um, in some situations, obviously, this has led to liability management transactions as well. You just mentioned liability management. I think that's a good segue to what I want to talk about next in the market, which is what many have been calling creditor-on-creditor violence uh, in the current environment, where you see significantly more up-tier and down-tier transactions. Michael, how are you thinking about that, and, and how are you taking that account when you're doing your investment strategy? Look, today, every deal that we underwrite, we consider the likelihood, the possibility of liability management transactions. And in fact, people think about this as really just a documentation question, but we don't think it's just a documentation question. 
almost every syndicated deal that was done in the last several years is going to have some liability management ability um, in those documents. It's almost universal. So I think some of the other questions that you have to start thinking about is what is the rationale of the sponsor? Is this something that the sponsor is going to want to do? There are costs in doing a liability management transaction. Um, There are obviously reputational costs. There are also questions about is a liability management transaction, is it going to work? Or is the sponsor just kicking the can? Is the sponsor going to have to continue to put in a lot of work, even knowing that they're never going to get equity value um, out of this business, even if they're able to successfully implement an LME deal? So I, I think for us, it's something that we underwrite for every deal, but you have to look at it, not just to do the documents allow it. What is the sponsor likely to do and why? And that's just as important a consideration. And how about you, Kevin? Obviously, at a very large institution all over the market. How do you think about liability management? I think Michael said it very well. The main thing to start with is most of the documents that you're looking at uh, are going to permit some form of liability management. So it is something that you have to think about. And I think that leads to the next question, which is who are the creditors that you're dealing with? Who is the sponsor that you're dealing with? Are they parties that are willing to engage in that type of transaction? Some parties are more willing to engage in it than others. Um, on both the sponsor and the creditor side. And then I think the real question here is, you know, is the liability management transaction, is that exercise something that's going to make sense for the company? And I think what we look at there is, is there enough runway where the liability management transaction can happen? And before you have to have a refinancing, there are a few years um, in all likelihood for the company to recover. Or is it a short dated maturity? If it's a short dated maturity, the liability management exercise probably not going to be as beneficial to the sponsor because it's harder to extend that option. So it's definitely something we look at. It's something that we think is you know very possible in the market. We've seen a lot of these transactions. We haven't seen a lot of them be successful, I think, is the other thing that I would point out here. I mean, I think Serta Simmons just filed. That's a big one. J. Crew, um, another one that we kind of use J. Crew as a, a euphemism. J.Crew didn't work either. Um, so these liability management transactions, they're definitely a tool in the toolkit and something that we have to be aware of. Uh, but it's something that I think you have to kind of look at it more holistically than just the simple exercise of do the documents permit it because the documents are almost always going to permit it. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point that, you know, with maturities being more long dated these days and in this current cycle, how, how do you think that affects the current environment? Are we going to just be seeing a lot more amend and extend versus lenders exercising their rights to collateral as in prior cycles? Kevin, what's your view? I mean, I think that there's definitely going to be more of a willingness to see if a deal still makes sense, if there's more of a runway on it from the sponsor perspective. And that that can kind of take two forms, I think. The one we've been talking about is the liability management exercise, uh, where they might decide, okay, we're going to do a liability management um, transaction, and that's how we're going to solve whatever issue we have, and then we'll have some time on the back end to grow into our capital structure, and that's kind of like a coercive amend and extend. I think the other thing that we've seen is sponsors are more willing to put capital to work and to support the businesses with capital um, than perhaps they would be if it was a shorter date of maturity, because hopefully... Sponsors are still believing in their thesis and these deals that weren't done so long ago. And they're thinking that some of the issues that we're dealing with, you know, the inflation, uh, the increased costs, that these are more transitory in nature. And the sponsor can just kind of put some more money in. The lenders can all get around the table and say, okay, we're going to keep supporting this and we're going to believe in this. And the sponsors are going to de risk us a bit. And that's how we're going to end up saving this deal. Uh, So, 
we are seeing, I would say, more of an appetite for men in Xtend because there are longer dated maturities. Uh, but it's still, you know, these are still negotiations and every situation is still, you know, company by company. That's interesting. And, and Michael, what are you seeing aside from liability management? What are sponsors doing to shore up the balance sheet and improve their economic prospects? I know you're saying other than liability management, that obviously is something that sponsors are doing when it makes sense, as we've been discussing. Uh, otherwise, they don't have a ton of options. Hedging costs are often too expensive. Um, refinancing may not be an option in a market like this. So as Kevin was saying, for sponsors that really believe in the equity value of their business, they are putting in more capital. And I think they're finding lenders willing to do an, an A&E uh, as long as the sponsor is standing behind the business. Um, you've also seen some of these, you know, rescue financing to help shore up a company's balance sheet. And that can make sense for a sponsor that's really trying to bridge some type of near-term liquidity issue and has collateral that's available for a transaction like that. Let's move on to opportunities. Michael, what excites you about the current investing environment? You know, what we were talking about before, the opportunity set is so much greater today than it was a year ago. We're also looking at many more control opportunities uh, than we were a year ago. And a lot of these opportunities are in types of names and industries we know well, whether it's packaging, airlines, um, industrial businesses. The other great thing about it is that the quality of these businesses, it's its just so much better than what we were seeing a short time ago. These really are good businesses that all of a sudden faced these kind of increased cost structures because of interest rates and inflation, but fundamentally, they're sound businesses. And as a result of that, restructuring is exactly what they need to delever their balance sheet um, and put themselves on a good path to go forward. So that that's really exciting as well. How about you, Kevin? I would echo a lot of what Michael said. Most exciting thing that we're seeing from a portfolio management perspective is the companies that we're seeing that are stressed uh, tend more to be good businesses that have a reason to exist. Maybe there have been some missteps, but there are things that can be done to turn these businesses around and, and make them healthy again. Uh, and I would say, you know, I've been at KKR for about five years, and I'd say the first four, uh, when we were looking at a company that needed a workout transaction, uh, it was a pretty dicey business in most of those situations. And now we're seeing... Uh, opportunities where, um, you know, we have done a lot in our portfolio workout uh, and governance team to be prepared to own businesses if we need to. And we are seeing, you know, kind of an opportunity to do that. Um, it's not our first choice. We're not a loan to own shop, but we have the ability to do that. And when you see transactions where the prospect of ownership doesn't seem so bad, um, that makes the whole backdrop of the negotiation a lot easier from a creditor perspective. Let's get a little bit more granular, focusing on sectors. Michael, what sectors do you find most interesting or challenging? Yeah, so there are a lot of industries and sectors, I think, that are facing challenges right now. Uh, and if you, you kind of step back, really any industry or sector that's dealing with these higher cost structures, wage pressures, inflation, and they're having a hard time passing that through if they just don't have the pricing power to pass that through to their end consumer. So looking more, you know, kind of granularly, healthcare is a big one. Pressures on costs and wages, pressures on lower reimbursement rates, plus the fact that there's regulatory uncertainty. So you have that government overlay that's creating pressure as well. Industrial businesses, higher raw material costs, um, oftentimes a struggle to pass these costs through to the end consumers. 
and uh, real estate, look, particularly office real estate. I mean, this is a legacy event from COVID. Those are long dated leases a lot of times for, for office. So you, you kind of expect to see those coming in the, you know, call it near to medium term. A bunch of other industries as well, but I think those are just some of the key ones that we've been focusing on. How about you, Kevin? What are you focusing on? I think it's um, it's a lot of what Michael said. Uh, it's industries that are struggling with pricing; uh, they're facing increased costs. You know, I'd certainly agree that healthcare is one that, that we are seeing a lot of, and we are very interested in. I think that's an interesting industry where you have some uh, businesses that that really make sense, and they're just kind of dealing with what I'll call transitory factors. You have you know the increased costs, but maybe there's some path to getting back to an environment where you can see them uh, doing very well. And then there are other businesses um, in the healthcare sector that have been fundamentally changed, whether that's because of a change in the regulatory environment, whether that's because of a change in their end consumer. So there's, there's really a divide between those companies in healthcare that are good companies facing challenges and those companies that are, you know, have fundamentally changed and maybe are yeah, in a very difficult place to have a recovery. And that's kind of an interesting sector for us as we dig into healthcare. Yeah, when thinking about it, it, it really does seem like there's broad-based opportunities with rising interest rates across all sectors and rising inflation and costs uh, across all industries. As investors, what skills do you think are most important in this environment? Kevin, why don't you go? It's a broad base of skills, um, which I think is always the case in in distressed investing. I think you have to have an ability to get the macro right. I think you have to understand, you know, is the company that you're looking at, is it facing tailwinds or is it facing headwinds? And how long are those tailwinds or headwinds likely to last? I think then you also have to get into the company and figure out what does this management team look like? Is this a, a management team that's competent? Have they been handling the challenge as well is this somebody that we is the team that we would like to get involved in and, be, and invest behind, and then you know just the basic unit economics of the business I think is something that um, often you need to understand like how does this company make money and will they be able to continue to make money in a variety of scenarios that you run against. Um, so it's really a broad base of skills, uh, but I would say the, the most important are uh, the ability to really go into a company and understand how it works and how it's managed. How about you, Michael? Are you seeing it the same way? I agree with Kevin. And I think, you know, one of the points that he hit on in particular, just that that operational expertise, to me, I think that's key. Uh, if you're going to be in a debt for equity restructuring, if you're going to end up owning one of these businesses that's dealing with the headwinds that Kevin's talking about that so many businesses are dealing with right now, um, you really need to be able to own that company and expect that you're going to be running it for several years. So making sure that you have those resources to be able to do that, I think is key for an investment to uh, to be successful. It's not enough to go through the bankruptcy process. You have to make sure, of course, at the end that the company has a right-sized balance sheet and that it has ample liquidity in order to improve, um, put in whatever capex. A lot of these companies have, have deferred or delayed capex that needs to be funded, making sure that the business has sufficient liquidity to run. Um, so I think all of those uh, are, are really necessary in today's yeah, I think that's a good point, Michael. What you said about the right-sizing of the balance sheet, I think that's kind of the fundamental here is when you're going through one of these transactions, whether it be a full workout, an LME, whatever it may be, I think what you're looking at is you're, you're hopeful that at the end of this, you have a company and a balance sheet and a capital structure 
that sets the company up for success. And I think you have to realize um, as you're going into one of these transactions, whether you're taking control of the company or whether you're remaining a lender to the company, that that's the end goal here. There's a lot that goes into that and a lot of different inputs that go into that, but that should be the end goal. And as we're wrapping up here, I think I'd like to just finish with the biggest challenges for investors in 2023. Michael, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, well, I mean, look, the the opportunity set's grown so much now that doing exactly what Kevin was talking about before, digging into these businesses and figuring out which opportunities you're supposed to focus your time and attention on, which of these businesses are good and are going to make it and are really kind of worthwhile of the time and effort um, to, you know, to kind of do the work and to make an investment. Sorting through that, this large opportunity set is a challenge right now. The other side is the operational side of the business. So whether it's an existing portfolio that you have or or looking at, you know, owning a new portfolio company, the operational sides of the business is very challenging, especially with some of the uncertainty that we were talking about before um, in the macro environment. So I think just creating strategies for businesses during this time period to succeed, properly engaging with the management teams um, and making sure that they're incentivized, that that all is just a core piece of the strategy and is a challenge that you're dealing with right now. Yeah, I see it very similarly to Michael. The opportunity set is a lot greater uh, in distinguishing between which situations are opportunities and which situations are things that you kind of just need to manage uh, is a big factor. And then I think that going in, um, understanding the operations of the business, making sure that the plan and the strategy that the business uh, has going forward is appropriate for the general business environment that they face, and making sure that the management team is ready to adapt to what is probably a different environment than what they've been seeing uh, for the past you know, two years or so uh, is are very important things and things that um, you have to get right uh, as you're going through the cycle. Yeah, it sounds like we could all agree that this is a very interesting cycle and there's going to be a lot of opportunities here. And there's, there's also going to be a lot of risks dealing with this environment, which I think none of us have seen uh, and the U.S. economy has not had to deal with in, in at least 40 years. But with that, I'd like to thank you both for participating in this panel. This was really, really great. Thank you again. Thanks for having us, Stephen. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to Deckert's Committed Capital. Please subscribe. And for more information, visit Deckert.com.